Welcome to the Primal Endurance Podcast. Slow down and enjoy the show, where we rap, literally, about everything you need to know. I'm your host, Brad Kearns. Are you ready? Let's go. podcast. Thank you for tuning in. It's your host, Brad Kearns. And here we are in the fall of 2017. It's getting cooler outside. Had to wear long sleeves this morning for the first time in many months here in the Sacramento area. And I thought it would be a great time to talk about taking a break the proper way to take a break at the end of the season, the end of the season rest period as detailed in a chapter of Primal Endurance uh, as part of the periodization plan, key critical component. Of course, we always start our seasons with an aerobic base building period dedicated to developing that aerobic system at comfortably paced heart rate for every workout to allow uninterrupted improvement in your aerobic capacity, your fat-burning capabilities, without the interference that intense workouts introduce with the long recovery times. Of course, they have a role, and they can stimulate rapid improvement, but if and only if you have a solid aerobic base built. So we start the season with aerobic base, then we go into our mini periods where we do intensity and competition, and then we have mini rest periods, more intensity, more competition. And finally, we get to usually, you know, unless you're a winter sport athlete or something, Uh, We get to the end of the season where the races are winding down, it's getting cooler, the days are getting shorter, pretty soon we have daylight savings kicking in and facilitating a great time to take a break. So the message I want to convey here is that the way to take a break is a complete uh, disengagement from all the usual high-stress, high-focus, perhaps ADHD behavior patterns that many endurance athletes exhibit during the competitive season. We're training for a very grueling, time-consuming sport. So when you're into it, you're really, really into it. And especially when we talk about the ultra-athletes where they're going for uh, a race goal that lasts for many, many hours, the training volume is quite high. It kind of takes over your leisure time, especially if you have a real life such as family, work responsibilities, personal responsibilities, and then it seems like every spare moment is dedicated to training, and it also seems like you have a really high call for uh, super time efficiency with how you organize and structure your day and your week to enable uh, the time to get out there on the road and put in the miles. So all that's great. It helps you become more productive. The advanced planning, the strategizing, the logistics, having your towel and your swimsuit ready in your trunk so uh, you can drive straight from here to there and then jump right back into the office without wasting inordinate amounts of time. Or you get out there on Friday night and uh, get your water bottles all mixed up and your clothes laid out so you can get up at the crack of dawn and start pedaling your bike on Saturday morning and all those great things. But those have a component, a stress element to them where your life is so uh, highly organized and highly time efficient that it doesn't really allow time for those random or those spontaneous 
occasions of downtime and disengagement and leisure time. And what I'm talking about is lingering around at the swimming pool for an extra 30 minutes hanging out in the hot tub rather than racing to the showers, jumping back in your car with wet hair and jamming back to your desk. So let's say instead of an hour swim workout during the season, maybe you go there and you stretch your arms out and work on your stroke for 15 or 20 minutes and spend the rest of the time goofing around and just enjoying some social time or just having casual chatting occasions in the parking lot after your run because the run only lasted 30 minutes instead of an hour and 20 minutes. That kind of stuff where you just relax and uh, take the pressure off from these focus goals where each workout has to be a certain uh, designated length of time and intensity and you're measuring and judging your performance. Uh, But before we even talk about uh, downscaling the actual workouts, I want to propose that you take a period of time where you really de-emphasize training in general and even stop exercising for a week or two and just give your body a complete break. A lot of times uh, the hormonal uh, irregularities and the hot spots, we can call them hot spots that are potential injuries that are uh, always there and lingering throughout the season. If you uh, stop exercising for a couple weeks, a lot of times those things will correct themselves. And yes, as you may know from the science, the effect of detraining is quite significant and severe. So when we talk about detraining, I'm talking about ceasing exercise for a sustained period of time. You will definitely get out of shape if you don't run a step for two weeks or you don't pedal a bicycle for two weeks or paddle or do whatever you're doing, lift weights. You'll have a a significant detraining effect. However, as detailed in a sidebar in the book, uh, and this is anecdotal, this is not scientifically validated. I don't know how you could do science about this, but um, it seems to me and many others that the detraining effect has a one-to-one ratio with retraining. So if you take a couple of weeks off and don't exercise, it will take you a commensurate length of time to get back to where you started from when you detrained, which is absolutely no big deal, and it's fine. So let's say there's two weeks of detraining. In two weeks of returning to a somewhat normal semblance of training patterns, you'll get right back to where you left off. Um, I can attest to this because I recently was uh, stricken with a crazy bout of vertigo out of nowhere, Uh, no (laughs) advance warning. I was just dizzy one day and I was actually bedridden for about four to five days. I was so dizzy I couldn't even stand up and get out of bed. And then it lasted a total of around two weeks where I still had pretty severe symptoms where I would just be walking down uh, the path in Austin, Texas, walking over to KetoCon, and everything was dizzy, and I was just trying to keep my balance walking straight on a dirt path. Um, Not too much fun. But the net effect of this uh, bout of vertigo was that I didn't really do uh, any form of physical exercise for probably the first uh, 10 or 11 or 12 days. So a complete detraining effect, and pretty soon the condition cleared, and I did only a handful of workouts, kind of getting back on my feet and able to run down the street. And after a handful of workouts, I started to notice uh, an improvement in my overall fitness level 
predating my forced rest period. So my maximum aerobic heart rate, my MAF test function, I was starting to run a faster pace per mile at my normal casual aerobic training efforts. Um, I had some great sprint workouts. My lingering problem with uh, sciatica, strained glute and hamstring had cleared up to the extent that I didn't feel any pain sprinting, something that had nagged on me for the previous six months. No kidding. So this forced rest period uh, came about to be a net positive after only a handful of workouts. That's pretty mind-blowing. So I want to share that with you, that, of course, your first workout back after not exercising for two weeks is not going to be pretty, but very, very quickly, you will jump right back into uh, the uh, competitive mode. So at the end of the season, if you can allow yourself to detrain for at least two weeks, some of the uh, really serious athletes that did multiple long-distance races throughout the competitive season might want to take up to a month uh, of detraining or extremely minimal exercise. I assure you that I did this every single year uh, when I finished racing on the professional triathlon circuit. I took a good month and did very, very little exercise. I found that I had to sleep much more than uh, usual than I did during the uh, training season because I was kind of wired on stress hormones, as all athletes are when they're in that day-to-day routine. So when I allowed myself to say, okay, the season's over, Uh, I'm not going to do any workouts, I'm not going to worry about it, I have extra time to sleep, I took that sleep and my body really, really needed it. I'd wake up (laughs) very late in the morning. Remember, I was a professional athlete, so no one was counting on me to get into the office, I would I would sleep in until embarrassing lengths of time, but I knew that this was part of the process, especially training at uh, that extreme level that elite performer does, um, that I knew I was going to need all this sleep come January when it was time to resume uh, with the aerobic base building period. So typically my December featured a lot of sleep, uh, perhaps eating some extra food and some foods that I might not ordinarily introduce at that level during the training season, probably added a pound or two of fat, which most people lament that they gain five to 10 pounds when they're not training normally. And really, that's just uh, inflammation, water retention, full glycogen storage, rather than your usual uh, going back and forth between uh, depletion and repletion. So the gaining of five to 10 pounds in a month is almost physically impossible to do if you're talking about pounds of excess body fat. That entails a massive Uh, increase in caloric intake that's really not practical or possible. So when you add five or six or seven pounds, fear not because it will come off very quickly when you return to training. Uh, Similarly, just as an aside, when I had my vertigo and I couldn't eat or drink very much for about the first four or five days, I lost quickly 12 pounds, quickly in four or five days. Um, Of course, I quickly regained that back when I was able to eat and drink and exercise and function normally again. But the obsession with the scale that many people and especially athletes harbor is really ill-advised because your body fluctuates in body weight so extremely uh, for the many reasons aforementioned. So um, let's just focus on getting that rest, not worrying about you're feeling a little more bloated and larger overall than normal, knowing that will go away when you return to training, and just getting a good physical rest period in there. And while you're at it, going hand in hand with that physical rest period is the critical uh, component of taking a mental break as well. So you want to purposely disengage your mentality 
from that competitive driven mindset that you exhibit during the competitive season. It's time to relax, slow down, uh, and also reflect on how your experience went during the season, including noticing what it feels like to be a little less uh, high intensity, high focus, high engagement, uh, OCD uh, as an athlete, and looking back and having that reflection and going, wow, I kind of feel uh, pretty, uh, pretty relaxed and less stressed here that I'm not worrying about my next workout constantly. I can walk at a slower pace. I can engage in more uh, social time if I going to the uh, to the athletic club to just uh, futz around and do some stretches rather than do an intense workout. And you'll find that this uh, creates a really essential and helpful balance to those times when you're in peak competitive intensity mode. And I know when we're talking to the endurance audience that uh, almost all of us have that that type A mindset that really thrives on high engagement. Uh, busy daily function, busy, busy daily schedule, but it comes at a stress cost. And so what we're doing here in the off season is purposefully balancing that out. Even if that's not your normal personality trait to stop and smell the roses, it's essential to do so. <laughs> you can, you can make it for a month. Don't worry. You'll be able to get right back into training, uh, soon enough, but please take this opportunity to balance your life and it will be a character-building experience. Uh, along those lines, I would say that it's highly recommended to nurture some other hobbies and outlets, such as uh, taking care of matters that you kind of let slide during the competitive season, whether it's yard projects or a stack of paperwork on your desk, maybe paying more attention and focus to uh, your studies your hobbies, or even your leisure opportunities, such as staying up a little later than normal and watching more uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm now that Season 9 is out. All that kind of stuff is fair game during this quote-unquote off-season. In my case, when I was a racer, uh, it was so intense, and there's so much traveling, and there's so much daily focus on your workouts and your competition and your upcoming race and problem-solving and learning from your previous races, talking to coaches, uh, going to therapy, massage therapy, chiropractic, uh, dealing with the business aspects of being an athlete. So my off-season uh, allowed me to have a little bit more focus and engagement in my uh, pursuit of writing, uh, my outlet, my hobby. And of course, that led to a career after I was done racing as an athlete. But it was also a wonderful balance where I'd sit down and pen some articles about uh, my experience as a triathlete, submit them to the magazines. I got some attention from some of those early articles. People appreciated my perspective. And of course, that led to uh, writing books and getting really into it when I had more and more time when I was uh, finished racing. So, you know, pursue other hobbies, broaden your perspective, uh, broaden your outlets and interests, socialize with people that maybe uh, you were short on when you're so busy training. And these will all be uh, wonderful balancing opportunities in the off season. Um, there's also when we get back out of that forced rest period where you're really not thinking about exercise for two weeks or up to a month, then you can transition into let's call it a kind of a uh, a strengthening mobility rebuilding phase where you can put great attention to uh, your weaknesses and imbalances, work on your functional fitness, work on your mobility, perhaps work on your strength training, and all this stuff, again, has a dedicated chapter in the book Primal Endurance, 
uh, to help you with some ideas and some pursuits that will uh, improve your endurance experience and especially prevent injury. Um, I heard a great podcast from uh, Kate Grace and her mother, Kathy Smith, the famous fitness uh, icon for, for decades. Um, her daughter, her, her daughter's name is Kate Grace, and she was uh, a member of the U.S. Olympic team in 2016 and actually made the Olympic final in the 800 meters. Pretty impressive. Break in two minutes, I believe. Uh, but she indicated that she took two weeks off of running, didn't run a step. This is an Olympic athlete who made herself not run a step for two weeks and then taking that uh, off-season period to get into the gym, work on her balance, work on her mobility, because her great quote was that, um, number one of primary importance to an elite athlete is to not get injured. Everything else is secondary to that, because if you're injured, then you can't get anything done. If you can't get out there and run, it doesn't matter what kind of workout patterns you have or whether you believe in over distance or higher quality or intervals or whatnot. If you're injured, you're injured. So to take that injury prevention time, uh, Dr. Kelly Starrett, such a, uh, a pillar in this area where he talks about um, this is in the Primal Endurance online course. We have great interviews from Dr. Kelly, worth the price of admission right there. I mean, it'll change your life, some of these insights that he offers. But he suggested that 15 minutes of every hour for all your workouts should be devoted to uh, mobility, flexibility, functionality, uh, doing drills, stretches, balancing exercises, using those rubber bands that you put around your ankle in the gym, and working on your glutes and firing the muscles that often get overlooked or in balance when you're just doing straightforward endurance training. So the winter time, we'll call it the winter time, the off-season time, is a great time to get really seriously into that. Uh, my personal example, anecdote, was I used to own a Vasa swim trainer, the absolute ultimate dry land swim training machine ever developed by Rob Sleemaker and his crew. Uh, take a look at their website, Vasa, V-A-S-A, like Victor, Apple, Sam, Apple, uh, swim trainer. And this thing... Uh, was so perfectly suited to building your swimming muscles that I would put a few minutes a day onto this thing. It was very difficult. I'd elevate the bench and do a really difficult swim workout. And before I even jumped back in the pool, before my first swim workout, after taking four to six weeks out of the water, I'd put in some time on the Vasa swim trainer. And after only a handful of workouts in the pool, I was right back to my regular uh, interval times, my regular send-off times that I had performed during the peak competitive season. So in other words, a little bit of strength training, of muscle-specific strength training, power, power training out of the water put me right back into peak uh, condition after a very short time returning to the water. In fact, I remember setting PRs and charting them down in my training log. I'm not BSing setting PRs in January and February from just a little bit of swimming and an extended rest period. So if you're a little hesitant, if you're feeling a little bit OCD about reluctance, taking time off in the winter, I promise you, you will have an eye-opening effect whereby if you discipline yourself to take that time off, to disengage mentally and physically from your normal training patterns, you will feel fantastic soon after you resume your training. And a possible additional side benefit will come in the form of a perspective adjustment where you're not so stressed, you're not so intense, you're not so hectic about your training patterns, knowing that even missing a day or two or a week or two or three will not have a extremely destructive effect that we're often convinced that it does 
on your overall fitness progress. I'm so big on this point, and it's so ridiculous. A lot of the things I hear out of the mouth of both recreational endurance athletes as well as elites. I mean, the elites think that if they miss a day or two of training, their entire program is going to be thrown off. Even the very best people in the world are still suffering from a high rate of injuries, a high rate of breakdown and burnout, even though they should know better and have that big picture perspective. And furthermore, since they're elite level performers, they're thoroughbred athletes, they should know that taking a few days off will not measurably uh, hurt their overall progress. They're already extremely naturally talented athletes. But again, they suffer from that insecurity and possibly that social conditioning that tells endurance athletes uh, they're not allowed to take a day off. I was just speaking on the phone today with Andrew McNaughton, my favorite uh, uh, podcast partner. We'll get some more shows with him. It's been a while. But he was saying that endurance athletes, remember this, okay, write this down or slow the tape down. If you're listening at one and a half speed or even double speed, let's go down to single speed just for a little bit to hear what Andrew has to say. He said that endurance athletes feel most comfortable when they're in a state of overtraining. What he meant was when that body is a little bit wiped out, when you're kind of fried at rest and you're vegging out on the couch because you've trained so hard that day or that previous week, that's when we have the most psychological comfort, perhaps as an insight on the nature of our character, the OCD, the overly competitive nature, the type A competitive nature of the endurance athletes, is we have to get ourselves into that state of overtraining and then we kind of... uh give a sigh of relief and think that, okay, we've made it to the promised land. We've pushed our body to the maximum, and that's how we're going to succeed at the best level in our Ironman goal or our ultramarathon goal. And that's a uh, extreme, uh, extremely poor judgment and a large mistake to your overall progress is to constantly push yourself into that overtraining state as a training method or a training strategy. Um, again, going across the board, and he was giving examples of elite athletes that he'd coached and advised that made the same mistakes over and over and over. That was a great show that we did with Jordan Rapp, the uh, Ironman competitor uh, present day, where Jordan said that um, after winning his Hawaii Ironman qualifier race seven weeks prior to the big show in Hawaii, Instead of recalibrating and taking some rest period and then having a slow build and a fine-tuning type of training pattern for the final seven weeks or that seven weeks in between the races, uh, because again, look, if you just won an Ironman, an Iron Distance event somewhere around the globe, you're probably best served to take at least a couple weeks off or very minimal training to just recover and absorb uh, the beneficial fitness impact of that race if you just take a break. And then, of course, the final two weeks before Hawaii, you're probably going to be best served by an extreme taper where you're not doing many workouts of significance. And so there you go. If two and two is four and you only have a seven-week period, we're not talking about a lot of engaged, heavy, focused training there. We're just talking about leveraging that great performance in the qualifier and then stepping into Hawaii at absolutely top form to take on the best in the world. But Jordan admitted himself that instead, after winning this qualifier, he wanted to bump his fitness one more level. And so he trained uh, to the overtraining extent uh, before Hawaii and had a very poor result in Hawaii. So here's one of the best athletes in the world 
the most technically advanced guy who writes about uh, the technical approach to training and all the biofeedback and monitoring exactly what's going on with his body, but making that critical error in judgment. Um, going down to the recreational athlete that might not even know better or is just thrust into a group training environment where every workout is a little bit too strenuous, a little bit too difficult because they're thrown in a pack with people that are slightly fitter, their heart rate's too high. Boy, it's really unfortunate that this type of mentality prevails. So taking that off-season back to the uh, the focus of this show, taking that off-season to slow down, uh, pick and choose your workouts when you do resume training, focus more on f- functionality and mobility, and you know much less on the overall volume and the overall stress impact of your training can have amazingly beneficial effects and carry over into uh, an evolved mentality where you're not so OCD and not so type A about all your workouts and you're easily able to step away and skip a day or two when you don't feel right or when you have symptoms of Uh, compromised immune function. And I've said this before, but I'll put in another plug right now. If you have a slight sore throat or you feel a little bit hot, a little bit off, your head feels a little bit funny or heavy, you know those feelings that you get when you're on the verge of catching a cold. If you can completely pull the plug on all forms of exercise, don't do anything until your immune function returns to normal at rest and your energy levels return to normal at rest, this will be, I strongly suggest, this will be the best decision for you to rebound quickly, use all those fitness powers that you have to uh, get your immune function into high gear to battle the impending infection and do away with it quickly and return to normal training. So I had to learn this lesson over and over the hard way that when I had a slight tickle in my throat, the best practice for me as a professional athlete with so much writing on my ability to train and perform, the best practice for me was to pull the plug on my entire life and go back to sleep and sleep it off and take a single rest day. Sometimes all I needed was a 24-hour period of extensive rest. I know everybody can't lay in bed all day, uh, but you do whatever you got to do, especially don't exercise. If you got to go to work with a slight scratch in your throat, that's probably going to be okay. You probably have to anyway, Um, but you do the best you can to just wind things down and rest, and in as little as a day, maybe two days, you will likely beat off whatever you uh, had uh, kicking and be back into normal training. And if you can't do that, if you insist on resuming uh, some semblance of your normal training patterns, you will likely catch a cold, and then you will certifiably be uh, subpar with your energy and your performance for probably two weeks. The first week, you'll feel really crappy. You'll probably will miss days of training anyway, but no matter what, you'll be tired, fatigued, and have the uh, the overt symptoms of a cold for the first week. And even when you start to feel better and you start to cough it out, the final stages of a cold go down to your lungs and you're just uh, feeling okay and your energy is getting close to normal, you will likely suffer for another week with subpar physical condition. So you just uh, burned two weeks instead of two days. It's your choice. Sore throat. Let's write a little equation here. Sore throat equals two weeks or two days, depending on the choices you make. So taking it easy in the off-season, taking it easy, pulling the plug whenever you have signs of subpar immune function, 
That's what we want to get to. That's the highest evolution of your decision-making patterns and training, to relax, take it easy, and make sure that you become as good at resting as you are at training. That's a great way to close this show. I hope you enjoy the off-season, the change of weather, and the chance to pursue new hobbies like listening to crazy old-time dance music. Thanks for listening. This is Brad Kearns. Hi, this is Brad Kearns to tell you about Primal Endurance Online Multimedia Educational Mastery Course. And what we have done for the past year is basically bring the book Primal Endurance to life with a series of videos and other multimedia educational material, audio, ebooks, all accessed at this online portal with everything you need to succeed in endurance training. And if you're trying to do this stuff, if you're enjoying these compelling challenges and trying not to get sick, injured, burnt out, fried, this is going to help you approach your endurance goals in a healthy, balanced manner and promote your health rather than compromise it. Get away from carbohydrate dependency and progress toward fat adaptation. It's over 120 videos, many with the experts and also many others with the step-by-step instruction of what's in the book. So if you're too busy to read or you'd like to have a more comprehensive learning experience, check out Primal Endurance online. You'll have everything you need there at primalendurance.fit.